Invest in yourself today with our Insider Pro product, which gives you the career path to reach the next step in your cybersecurity journey. Join today on CyberAid.it using the discount code PODCAST. In this episode of the CyberAid Podcast, we sit down with Liz Wharton, the Chief of Staff for Scythe. In our conversation, Liz explains the intricacies of running the world's busiest airport from a cyber perspective, as well as what it's like to be on the front line of a citywide ransomware attack that took place in Atlanta in March 2018. Welcome back to the Cyberry Podcast, everybody. Today, uh, we have Liz Wharton, the Chief of Staff from Scythe with us. Uh, thank you very much for being here today, Liz. Oh, thank you so much. This is a, this is a great pleasure. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, so yeah, if you could start off with giving us just a little bit of... Uh, my superhero origin story. Yes, your origin story would be fantastic as I you lost know, my train of thought there. It happens. Uh, really, I'd like to think that I'm just such a presence that when I come in, it, uh, yeah, it happens. Yeah. People get tongue-tied. No. <laughs> so a, a very uh, non-traditional route, if there's ever a traditional route, uh, fell into information security and technology backwards and really have tried to escape over the years, but it just doesn't work out that way. Mm -hmm. But a lawyer by training and recovering from some aspects of that, but have worked in public policy, trying to bridge that gap between the regulators, legislators, and really the tech speak mm -hmm. and evolved that into advising startups and other businesses through my legal practice, spent a brief sense, a little under two years with City of Atlanta, was the senior assistant city attorney in charge of technology for the world's busiest airport, and have spent the last almost two years working with startups and just recently joined Scythe. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, we're going to definitely get back to Atlanta. I have a lot of questions about your time there. <laughs> um, so, I mean, how did you get started into tech, like going from, uh, you know, law school and being a lawyer? Like, how did you start? You know, I'm, uh, they're pretty, I mean, not foreign to each other, but I mean, there's a lot of differences, I would say. It, you're right, because lawyers are not known for necessarily being technically savvy. Uh, really, it was, I grew up with a grandfather who taught us how to play around with the Commodore 64 in the basement amongst his ham radios. Uh, from there, my brother started going to 2600 meetings and you start meeting people in information security. They find out you're a lawyer mm -hmm. and they want to ask you questions. Yep. And really that's my first uh, Black Hat DEF CON experience was 13, 14 years ago. And let's just say I did not blend. Oh, uh, steep learning curve at uh, those kind of things. It, but the best kind. Oh, because yeah. Because you ask people questions and it's like, wait, you're showing an interest in this? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like, fire away. Oh, yeah. And then you're, you know, five minutes later, you're down a super deep rabbit hole and somebody's giving you a very technical explanation on something that's just fascinating of something you had never even thought about. Well, and that's when I, as we're sitting here in the studio, I've got my notebook in front of me. I'm constantly taking notes mm -hmm. and able to plot and go, okay, we're going to have to come back to that. Now mm -hmm. I want to, or Googling stuff under the table, it's that yearning, that questioning why, how, and okay, now what, mm -hmm. that has served me well in all the different roles. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing you always kind of want to know, like, oh, like I don't know that term or I don't know this, like, let, let me figure that out. Oh, constant. I have just pages of those that you go back to or a uh, 
the book, the open browser pages, like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. The Safari history on my phone is just the things that I didn't know that now I sort of do. Mm-hmm. Or at least I've bookmarked and saved to read later. Yes. <laughs> um, well, yeah, let's go back to uh, working at the Atlanta airport. Um, like, how did that come about? And then, I mean, how do you even go about, you know, securing the world's busiest airport? Well, as most folks learn, breaches are going to happen, uh, incidents are going to be. So securing is a very, uh, that's a lofty goal. Uh, but I had developed and been working in unmanned systems mm-hmm. and really the IOT world of the sensors. And through that, as drones, unmanned systems were emerging, had working with all these startups and on the regulatory side. So as Atlanta was evaluating from their aviation group Mm -hmm. what to do, they had the foresight to recognize we need someone with a technology background before we bring all this uh, tech. As the time we were upgrading the Wi-Fi, the networks, the DAS, and recognizing the benefits of having from the legal side, someone who can understand what's going on and applied, hired. And I don't think they truly understand, understood what a geek they had brought in, because if you're going to let me play with toys on the airfield and the runway, I mean, every time we're like, oh, we're, we're evaluating this technology. I'm like, really? Can we, can we take it out? Can Mm -hmm. we take it for a test drive? Like, Okay, let's do this. So it, it was a lot of fun. It also got to be interesting as different friends and connections in the InfoSec world mm-hmm. would travel through Atlanta and heavens forbid, they would post on Facebook or Twitter that they had an unexpected layover mm-hmm. because they would immediately get a response from me of, uh, oh, you're unattended, unsupervised in quote unquote, my airport. Uh, we're going to fix that. I'm going to, I will meet you there, but please, please, please do not break anything. Do not cause any damage, (laughs) you know, keep your hands above, you know, where we can see them at all times. (laughs) Yeah. I've, I've only been to the Atlanta airport once and I didn't have time to do anything except sprint from one side to the other to catch my flight. So well, and I thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Um, yeah. So, I mean, um, we kind of talked earlier, um, uh, when we talked on the phone yesterday about, uh, you know, some of the things that you were trying to bring about and kind of change and stuff. Like you noticed, you said that when you were there, there was like some vendors and stuff that are still going through. So how do you start, you know, mitigating access to people and like kind of contemplating when they should be there, when they shouldn't? Uh, like that, how do you manage that? Well, and really that's part of a bigger picture of third party risk mm-hmm. is recognizing that you have this vast landscape that and all these different attack points. And one of the biggest things, especially coming out of the post uh, cities ransomware incident is you start to look at, okay, what could we have done better? What could we do? And really just knowing who's in your house, Mm -hmm. knowing who's there, are they supposed to be there? Have they exceeded or, uh, in this case, there's times when I would sit in folks' offices and watch certain contractors go by with the logoed vest and everything thinking, well, I haven't seen a contract come through for them to be working on anything this week. I thought they had finished something else like... What's going on? Are they just wrapping up? Are they? 
But having that catalog and that inventory and having a hands-on approach is really helpful when you start looking at one of the highest infection, you know, threat vectors for ransomware incidents, et cetera, Mm -hmm. uh, malware coming into your ecosystem. It's typically through third party, third parties, vendors, because they don't have the same uh, interest or self-preservation of Mm -hmm. it's your system. It's okay. It's, it's not theirs. If if it was their house, they would pay attention, but eh, whatever you want to do at your house. Yeah. I mean, what are the most, I guess, like prevalent, like threats or something in a, in a location like that? Like, well, and it's the same threats that you find everywhere else. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things, uh, the Atlantic council just released their, an update to their aviation cybersecurity report. And one of the things we, in working with uh, the author and in the aviation industry is recognizing you think of aviation cybersecurity and you think of the airplane. Mm -hmm. Well, but the airport itself is actually, you know, connected. You've got restaurants, you've got retailers, you've got point of sale systems, Mm -hmm. you've got everyone trying to connect their iPad to watch the net, you know, Netflix and chill while they're waiting for their next flight. Mm -hmm. You've got all the same threats that you find anywhere else in an environment with a higher, higher stakes, higher risk, because if something goes wrong in aviation and transportation, there's not a lot of room for error. And so that was one of the biggest challenges is having uh, both from the airport side, but also from a resource side, having that discussion where it's, you do realize we face the same risks Mm -hmm. and identifying and taking the same protocols. I mean, you have the, you know, only a handful of vendors that provide all of the software and systems that are running the electronic signage. Mm -hmm. And so you've seen airports over in the UK that have had ransomware incidents on their electronic, uh, you know, their arrivals, departures. So if you thought your uh, mad dash across a Hartsfield was bad, imagine if you didn't have the directional signage telling you where your connecting flight was. And it's kind of fun if you go back and look to look at the pictures, it's fun after the fact, but they had people standing there holding whiteboards saying, you know, a flight to this and erasing and you had to go old school. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something that I would have thought of as like that you would just, most people probably assume that everything is connected internally to the same, you know, system, but to know that they don't do it that way. And yeah, you have to do a, you know, whiteboards to get a workaround. Well, it's every different airline has is responsible, for example, for their gates. So they, they lease those gates from the airport. So Delta is in charge of its system. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, where American Airlines, you know, United, uh, everyone else. And so you have to get them to play together nicely of their systems to all communicate, as well as working with the city's system, uh, the aviation's uh, network, as well as every other vendor who's coming in and out of there. So it kind of takes everything and multiplies it by factors of 10 yeah. to eight, yeah, from there. So is it all done by like gate? So like, you know, gate C is all run by whatever airline is there. Does that include all the vendors and everything that might be at that gate? Or do they then each have their own little network that they're working on? Or is it all run... 
So it's, it, it's both. Uh, and one incident that had gotten a little bit of uh, media play or whatever, there's one software provider that provides a load balancing software for every major airline. So they've had a couple of glitches, let's call them. And so if they go down, then the flights can't do the calculation. So each individual flight, be it Delta, American Airlines, United, whoever's using that software, in this case, everyone, has to ground all their flights until they can come up with an alternative mechanism. So you have instances like that, Mm -hmm. whereas the electronic signage at each gate that they're using, that's going to be one vendor Mm -hmm. that's doing it. But whether it comes to, and you see this if perhaps the carpeting is not as fresh, uh, you know, maybe it's worn in a certain area. Some of that will fall on different individual airports. They have consortiums that have come together to say, okay, we're going to take responsibility, joint responsibility for maintenance of this system. Well, a different area of the airport may be actually maintained by the Department of Aviation through the city. So that's what I say. It it gets interesting, especially when you have stuff like a power outage mm. that uh, I'm not saying that ever happened at Atlanta, but as I'm nodding uh, vigorously, it, you know, it, it shut down the airport for several hours, which caused this ripple effect mm-hmm. and then having to peel back the layers of the onion to figure out, well, who's responsible for this section of the, you know, electrical grid for feeding the airport, that, that got to be a little fun because yeah. everyone's pointing fingers of, well, it's not my problem mm-hmm. that you're stuck on the tarmac, uh, for hours on end in the dark. Like, uh, no, it's this guy over here. It's, <laughs> it's somebody else. It's that person. Yeah, it, exactly. Everyone, but me. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, in, in your capacity, your role, is that just kind of to oversee and make sure that kind of everybody plays together and is following kind of the same rule set? Uh, I mean, what kind of, yeah, what is your, the overall, you know, what, what are you doing in those situations? Well, and so as hopefully most companies are realizing when it comes to their legal department and getting those lawyers in, I really like to be in the conversation from the initial steps of the project, mm-hmm. because that way I understand what the department's needs are. Mm-hmm. And really I was there to ensure that Uh, from project inception to project completion and every step of the way in between that they were following or that they were meeting whatever the regulatory and statutory requirements were for, from the contracting side, but also it's just a resource Mm -hmm. and to really offer insight of, okay, if this is where you want to get in the project, this is the end result you want. Well, here's the ways you can do that within the existing framework. Mm -hmm. And if a vendor was slow in doing something, then helping say, well, these are the options. These are, you know, this is how you can respond. You tell me how you want to do it. Mm. So really just removing the roadblocks so that they could do their side of the business. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, switching gears a little bit, but while yeah. you're still in Atlanta, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you were also there during the data breach in... Well, we're going to call... We'll shy away from calling it a data breach. Okay. Because, well, because it, it, that the, focuses on a narrow slice of it okay. and whether the data itself was 
accessed, compromised, et cetera, really it was just, a, it was a ransomware event. Mm-hmm. Uh, Atlanta fell victim back in March, 2018 to a uh, Sam Sam ransomware and being one of the few technology attorneys or someone with uh, over a decade at that time in information security, it, they recognized the need for my input. Mm-hmm. And I got to, I had the privilege of working on the immediate response team. Yeah. So, I mean, how does that, you know, what is your, what is your immediate response? I mean, what is the next step when something like that takes place? Like what is your first priority? Well, this is where you need to have the radio edit button, mm-hmm. uh, because admittedly the first response is not fit for airing yeah. or publication. Uh, actually it was probably a string of those words together that I thought yeah. was both creative and would have made a sailor blush. Uh, <laughs> but it, hopefully it, companies and cities at this point, especially, you know, it's coming, mm-hmm. it's only a matter of time. And so you have, it's basically you can go into go mode. Yeah. You implement the action plan. But one of the things that becomes interesting with that is what do you do when your action plan is perhaps a, a PDF file that's saved on your hard drive and, or on you know, your document database that you no longer have access to. Oh yeah, what's what's plan B? <laughs> exactly, or, you know. uh, and that's where you hope there are folks like me that are nerds and like to print certain critical documents. And you do you you bring out the binder, you dust it off, but you get a lay of the land mm-hmm. and it really start figuring out. Okay, how bad is this? Do what do we know and what can we do with the information that we have? Mm-hmm. And at that point, you are pretty much physically unplugging things from the wall if you have to. Yeah. Especially when you have it, Sam Sam being a, it's not something that comes in, sits in place. I mean, it was active. It was dynamic mm-hmm. going through. And so every second that you're delaying a decision is something that it's getting further. It's tentacles or. Yeah. You know, it's causing more problems. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, what, so being on the inside, what is something that I guess people don't understand? Like you just hear it in the news, like, oh, you know, it's a ransomware attack, but what is something that people just don't think about, or I I guess might not understand that, you know, what happens to a city when something like that happens? Well, one of the things that worked to Atlanta's benefit, uh, to the extent anything like that really does does work to your benefit is network segmentation. Mm -hmm. And so you start assessing which critical functions can continue and which are now halted. So while paying your water bill may have been delayed because the payment systems and the account systems weren't up and running, at least through network segmentation, Watershed was on a different network. So it permitted uh, the services to continue. And so it's planning ahead and having some idea of kind of the, as we were talking about before with the vendors and mm-hmm. vendor management, but having a catalog of what resources you have right now mm-hmm. and knowing your team, knowing whose skill sets, you know, if you were going back to the superhero metaphor, you know, Wonder Woman's going to be great in certain situations mm-hmm. and Superman is fantastic. But if we're talking about kryptonite being around 
it's probably not. And again, Aquaman, maybe. So knowing, knowing who you have, or if we're playing magic, knowing what cards you have in your deck Mm -hmm. to be able to say, okay, now, now I know I want to bring in a planeswalker to do this. And having that, that grasp of your team, it's how they knew to call me in when that wouldn't have ordinarily been my tasking. Mm -hmm. But then I can come in and and I was familiar with some of the concepts. I was familiar with, oh, we need to reach out to these resources. Well, I know people there. Who do I need to be? You know, how quickly do we need something? It's, you don't want to, you don't need to realize uh, kind of how quickly you need to ramp up and how difficult it becomes when you you don't have access to everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, how, uh, yeah. I mean, when something like that happens, I mean, how small or how large do you try to keep the team that is trying to fix this? Like when is it too many people or when is it, (laughs) when do you know it's like, this isn't, this is enough people. Well, it is hopefully everyone has a plan built ahead of time. These are the, these are the critical team members that you can, and that it's fluid. Mm -hmm. So you can add and pull away as necessary. And that uh, personalities and egos are such that there is no insult of we're moving towards the, you know, the greater good. And if nothing else, and keep in mind, I don't speak on behalf of the city of Atlanta, et cetera, et cetera. I am a lawyer, but I'm not yours. Uh, (laughs) The, the fact that with Atlanta, one of the first questions was payroll was coming up and uh, the mayor to show, I mean, she was willing to do what was necessary. And in fact, one of her persons, she's like, do I have to start hand signing paychecks? Cause if that's what I need to do to make sure that everything is still functioning, I will. And having a team in place that does that mm-hmm. and is willing to get that granular yeah. uh, is impressive. But when it comes to knowing who it's, it's knowing what's impacted and being able to pull those resources. So you don't necessarily need this, that, or the other, if their, their systems aren't touched. Once you've stayed kind of, once you've triaged the patient, mm-hmm. then you can kind of say, all right, let's, let's know who's on standby, but we don't necessarily need them in the operating room. The room yeah. Interesting. So, um, I mean, how do you help with working? So, I mean, you're working with the mayor and I'm sure a bunch of other city officials, but then you're also working with the very technical people. I mean, what is it like bridging the gap between trying to make people who might not be super technically inclined understand somebody who is extremely technically inclined and like trying to make them talk and be on the same page. Well, and it's not even being on the same, it's even just getting the same, getting that minimum vocabulary, like let's level set Mm -hmm. uh, and explaining that, for example, if the systems, you know, the system's broken, you know, you're having to build it, everything back up from scratch, essentially. Then uh, when you have people coming in and say, oh, well, we need to do an audit of this, or we need to do a pen test of this. uh, Let me save you the time and the trouble. You don't need to test it. It's broken. Mm-hmm. We know it's broken. We're having to build it. So perhaps we don't. And managing expectations, I think, is the biggest part of that and helping it understand because they don't, you don't have to have that detailed knowledge on either side as long as you understand what the mission is mm-hmm. and understand where that is. So that's part of the thing that have to, let's boil it down. Okay, yes, you want this functionality, you want this, this, and this. But really, what are you trying to achieve? Okay, you know, on the executive team side, 
what are y'all looking to have happen? What do you need? Do you care the route you go to get there? Or really, do you just want, you know, you need the communication systems back up? Mm -hmm. Okay. Bridging that and kind of breaking it down to the commonalities, Mm -hmm. it really becomes key. Yeah. Trying to do it quick or the best way, I guess, is when you start kind of starting to try to walk that line. Oh, there, at that point, it's the, uh, there is no perfect anymore. Mm -hmm. It's what can we do to get stabilized to then be able to really break it down and evaluate how do we go from there? Mm -hmm. But when the patient's flatlining, you know, and you're having to go to pen and paper for things, it, you don't get too tight. Well, I don't know if I like that font. Uh, you know, as long as it's not Comic Sans, we're all good. <laughs> Nobody likes Comic Sans. Nobody does. <laughs> poor Comic Sans. Yeah, I know. Whoever that poor person, whoever invented that typeface, is just. Uh, they hey, as long as they make what it you know, they make a dollar every time someone mentions it. They're, they're yeah. laughing all the way to the bank. You're welcome, whoever you are. Exactly, the unsung hero. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I mean, what else, I mean, like about that time, can you tell us or, or kind of lessons you might've learned or something that, you know, that now people are probably thinking of more because of this, you know, that happened? Well, it really boils down to, again, those themes that we were talking about is understanding who's in your system, mm-hmm. uh, from a vendor and having those points of contact. And so that when something does go wrong, you know who to contact, that you have a backup mechanism to find that information, uh, that you have kind of the priorities, but you know who, you you know, who's there, you know, who does what. And on some basic level, knowing it both within your team, where the strengths and weaknesses lie. Mm-hmm as well as really looking at your contracts and kind of going back to the lawyers because we ruin everything, but putting in those parameters of these are our minimum requirements. And if you're not meeting them, then know that you're going to, you know, you're going to be left holding the bag. Like this will Mm -hmm. be your mess and having that liability built in so that as uh, unfortunately, and I had nothing to do with this, uh, but uh, being up in the Baltimore DC area, uh, I think they learned very quickly the value in having the uh, cyber risk insurance, mm-hmm. but having those contacts and knowing, okay, here's, here's where the risk lies because it gets expensive. Oh yeah. I mean, Atlanta, 17 million and counting uh, Baltimore in the same ballpark and if it's the taxpayers paying immediately versus the insurer paying and covering some of it, that's that makes a big difference when you think of everything out. I mean, municipalities and state and local governments, their budgets already stretched thin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but the vendors gotta be paid to rebuild the system. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something that needs to happen now. And it's where is that money coming from and, you know, who's going to pay for it? Exactly. Um, so baking that into the, the liability side mm-hmm. uh, and helping kind of share that is also critical. Yeah. Um, as a former resident of Baltimore, I, I just have to ask, well, why mm-hmm. do you keep hacking these cities that you go to? A lot of questions about that. You know, it. Uh, I'd have to... I have to plead the fifth or something. Okay. Uh, yeah. As a lawyer, I think you're allowed to do yeah, that. So. I think so. Okay. I, I don't know. If not, uh, you haven't paid enough Bitcoin into my uh, ransomware wallet to uh, find that information. <laughs> 
Um, so we also talked about before kind of moving away from the Atlanta and everything else um, before in our conversation about kind of now all of the information that you know, companies and, and everybody is gathering from you. And I, I had told you that me and my friend had had a conversation that, you know, in the past, everybody was very afraid of, you know, 1984 and Big Brother, the government's going to be watching me and, you know, they're going to know my movements and everything. But now as, you know, we've reached the future, uh, it's more companies and corporations that have all of your information and, and are, you know, quote unquote, tracking you most of the time. Uh, I mean, what what are you noticing with that? I mean, being on, you know, with a, a law background, noticing about that and how, <laughs> how things are changing and what people are feeling about, you know, that. Well, I think that's going to be one of the uh, big shifts that we'll see in, you know, 2020 mm-hmm. is they're starting to be a, a much uh, greater awareness of what data is being collected and what's being tracked. Yeah. And I saw this a lot with the smart city uh, projects that we were working on both within the airport and the city and having that conversation of, sure, this sounds like a great project. And yes, if we can work on traffic flow you know, to improve that, then it saves time mm-hmm. and it, it protects resources. But at the same time, does that smart meter truly need to collect everything? Yeah. And it, working with, okay, again, going back to the superhero, but knowing what power you hold and the data, because we don't always have control over that. Mm-hmm. But to the extent we do have control over, you know, location services, uh, what devices, making sure we've properly configured them and being aware what apps we're using it and when they're running. Yeah. Because that is great because the businesses are not under, at least in the U.S., they're not under the same liability as perhaps our protections that the government holding our data Mm -hmm. would have. And so that's really going to be with California's uh, data protection with GDPR, but also other countries and other states looking at that. Since we don't have a, in the U.S., we don't have that federal protection Mm -hmm. on a lot of it. it. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens. Yeah. I mean, it's getting to a point, I mean, everybody's installed an app on their phone. Everybody clicks the terms and services and immediately agrees because it's 50 pages of lawyer speak that I do not understand. I mean, as somebody who understands that, I mean, how, I mean, do you sit there and just, you know, spend the time? Is it just like, yep. I am just as guilty of (laughs) clicking through because it's not just me. Yeah, no, because I mean, what do you think you're going to do? There is no negotiation. Mm -hmm. It's well, I'd like to have this provision changed. You let me know how that goes Mm -hmm. when you contact the app providers. I mean, and part of that goes back to developers and where from, you know, recognizing, bring it all the way down to that basic level of what are you designing? What are you building? And should you be required to, or just as a business practice, bake in some better protections? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, a lot of apps now that people are noticing is like, why does this need to connect to Bluetooth? And why does it, it's like, oh, it's tracking your location. That's the reason that it's doing that. And I think people are starting now to understand like, oh, I don't want it to do that. Like, let's, let me actually look through and see what location services it's using and things like that. So I think people are starting to become a little bit more aware, um, 
you know, some people at least. Yeah, no. And as much as I joke about uh, lawyers and insurers ruining everything, I mean, that's really where change is going to be driven. Yeah. And you look at uh, biometric facial recognition Mm -hmm. is going to be another hot area. And you're already seeing the courts dealing with this in a couple of different states where uh, stores like Home Depot, Lowe's, Mm -hmm. as part of their fraud theft prevention, they're using facial recognition uh, as you're going through their stores. Mm -hmm. Well, when they tie that information to, you know, and connect some of it, and store it in their database. They weren't necessarily treating it as PII, the personally identifiable information. Mm -hmm. And yet state laws are requiring, they said, no, 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 this is, this is unique information that what are you going to do? Change your fate? You know, is Home Depot going to pay for your nose job when their systems breached? And so they're getting called to task and they're being sued for, that failure to protect the information just as they would with PII. So you've got that kind of change driving it to be more aware. Like, it's a great idea. Put in a a home security system or security system for your business. Mm -hmm. But understand what you're collecting and how you're using that Mm -hmm. and that there are ramifications. Yeah, and how you're you're storing it is the one thing that, yeah. Yeah, how are you storing it? Who has access? uh, And we're seeing the, I think... Closing out 2019 with the ring uh, shenanigans. <laughs> I was about to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how how do you not? If the you know, it's one thing to say I'm Santa, I see what you're doing mm-hmm. uh, through a camera, but it's a completely other thing of when you've got all the connected devices in your home and mm-hmm. it's capturing different information. Who has access to that yep. and did you intend for them to? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's coming back to, uh, I mean, I've seen uh, that happen multiple times. Like the, the ring ones have, I feel like five or six have happened in the last like two weeks or something that's really brought it up. It's been like all over uh, the news that I've seen. And every time it's like, yeah, the person just didn't have, wasn't using all the security measures that we mm-hmm. put into place. They, you know, they're using the same password for everything. They don't have two-factor authentication on and these things are going to happen. Like you have, like, you know, we're giving you the tools and we built it in a certain way, but if you don't use what we're giving you, these are going to continue to happen. Well, absolutely. And it's, it's assuming that people are even aware if the tools have been built in, that they're aware that they're there oh. and that they know how to do, you know, not everyone knows to perhaps set up a different Wi-Fi network in their home that they connect their devices to, mm-hmm. as opposed to the one that they use to connect their work laptop or their cell phone that has a completely different set of information on it and their guest network. Mm-hmm. You know, take the time, do that, because there's no reason your smart fridge should be why a nefarious actor was able to get all kinds of mm-hmm. work emails. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I always think back, uh, my parents, neither of them are technically inclined at all. They don't understand what I do or what our company does at all. Um, and, you know, it's like, oh, well, they just called me and told me my password was incorct. And, you know, they're asking me to do it over the phone. And I'm like, what, what did you tell them? Uh-huh. Like, oh, nothing. I'm like, okay, good. And it, nobody should ever call you asking for any passwords or anything. But, I, I mean, there's still a giant portion of the population that doesn't know that. I mean, I thankfully started working in tech. So you just kind of get in the habit of learning all these things from people who know how to do all of this stuff. So it's just, you know, things that you pick up along the way, but there's people that haven't and don't, 
And those are the people that I always am afraid for. Well, and you think of your organization that, or your typical business, I mean, you've got everything from the CEO, uh, president down to the mailroom and the cleaning staff that are coming through. And that's where I think it's helpful to have uh, companies like Cyberary that are out there providing that education, bringing those pieces in and that's one of the things that excited me about Scythe is that providing this platform where you can assess where the education and the training and you can figure out where your weaknesses are before someone else does. Yeah. And really just that education piece of, as you said, educating your parents. Uh, no, nobody will ever and uh, trust but verify. I mean, that's one thing in... You know, a prior job, won't say which one, but you know, we would get letters from different uh, agencies requesting information or something. I said, this is great. Now let me teach you how to, just because this letter came in, let's verify that this is an actual agent, Mm -hmm. that this is an actual, you know, and if they're legitimate, then they provide that backup mechanism that you look at the email address. Well, I doubt, you know, an FBI secret service agents, you know, anything like that is going to be using a Gmail account, yeah. you know, at Hotmail, yeah. at AOL, <laughs> that should be a very big, yeah. but having that conversation, mm-hmm. like mom, hang up the phone, get a number that you can call them at, but also Google it. Yeah. Google the IRS office. And Google the phone number that called you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, Google, like there's just some minimal things you can do because it's still going to happen. Mm-hmm. And taking away some of the shame in that, of no, 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 okay, you goofed. Let's call me and tell me immediately. Mm-hmm. I can start fixing this. But having just those basic bare minimum like practices in place is helpful. Yeah. So, I mean, you brought it up. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about what, what Scythe does and kind of a little bit about the company? <laughs> Other than the unicorns, which yeah. are awesome. And if you'll notice, there's the red unicorn, the blue unicorn and the purple unicorn. Okay. Because looking at it as red team versus blue team doesn't really help Mm-mm. move everything forward. And knowing where your security posture is and knowing where everything is, ahead of time and having almost constant feedback on some of that becomes helpful. So when you think of, well, the red team does, uh, comes in and, uh, right before big audits, they'll do an assessment because you don't want surprises mm-hmm. during an audit or a pen test from an outside vendor. You kind of want to know a little bit ahead of time what's going on. Well, what if you could do that, cont- you know, uh, continually mm-hmm. and create it so that it's tailored for your environment. And that's part of what Scythe does Okay, and allows that uh, creative module building. But yeah, and that's, that's the, in a nutshell from my fourth day uh, with the company. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. Congratulations uh, thank again. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm still debatable whether I'll show up for day five, day six and day seven. Eh, yeah, of, you never, yeah. Yeah, no, I got to keep them on their toes. Yeah, Monday you'll be like, eh, I don't really want to be here anymore. It, it happens. Yeah. It's working. But no, it's so far a fantastic team. And anytime, as my uh, six-year-old niece would tell you, anytime I get to work with unicorn-themed stuff, 
That's, I consider that a win. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I consider that. Yeah. Anytime that you can just have random little fun things around the office, as you've noticed, are shelves with things on them. Yeah. Um, Rich, so. if, if folks haven't had a chance to check out, hopefully on some of the video streams y'all will show, y'all have some really neat memorabilia. Oh, thank you. Do you, have a, do you have a favorite that you're keeping out over here? I mean, uh, kind of flashing back to childhood, both the uh, Nintendo game console history book, as well as the Empire Strikes Back lunchbox with the thermos. And not only that, it still had, oh no, actually it doesn't, no, it doesn't have the cap. That was the first thing we always lost in our household. You've got the little cup that would attach the top of the thermos. That goner. Yeah. It might be in there for all I know. I don't, I don't know. I haven't opened it. It's not mine, but uh, shout out to Mike Gruen, our VP of engineering, who that is his from childhood. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Ours always, it, it was just a hodgepodge. You might have the Empire Stripes back with the Return of the Jedi thermos mm-hmm. because you lost one or the other. Yep. You just got to get them all together. Um, well, thank you for being here today, Liz. Uh, it was a great yeah. conversation. It was very interesting. Uh, it was nice to know about all those things that you're going to stop packing cities soon. Um, it's good. No, I Your can't Your reign of terror. That. Oh, okay. No, well. no, no. I mean, that's, that's half the fun. But yeah. no, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for the invitation. Yeah, and absolutely. Congratulations on the new show. And Thanks. Hopefully, uh, we'll, the invitation will be extended again. Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely have to have you back. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cyberry Podcast, and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.